Welcome to the 139th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and a look at the first few games of the NBA playoffs, along with maybe some revised predictions for each series after we got a peek at the early action. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NBA where Patrick was a perfect 4-0 with his weekend predictions. Moving on to Major League Baseball, Patrick went 3-1 in his Major League Baseball weekend series predictions. So Patrick was 7-1 overall in this weekend's predictions, bringing him to a 396 and 271 overall record, a 59.4% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, overall, I would say my goal is to reach 400 wins next week without getting my 275th loss, which would mean that I end up with at least a winning record. Uh, but we'll see how that turns out. But uh, very, very satisfied with the last two weeks. 7-1 uh, and one in the MLB to start the season two, which is very, very uh, good. Uh, and also 4-0 in NBA playoff predictions. Playoff games are obviously, well, according to, to how I pick them, apparently playoff games are easier to pick than regular season games. But uh, that might just be honestly knowing more about who, well, frankly, knowing more about who the teams are and actually knowing who's going to play because... You never know if someone's going to rest someone last minute on on a regular on a, on a, on any given Friday or Saturday. But when you get to this point in the season and you're in the playoffs, no one's resting anybody at any point. They're either injured or they're not. Uh, and really, the only big injury was Luca, and then obviously Steph was probable for Game One, but uh, had an injury designation but played, so uh, that didn't really affect anything other than the Luca one. I probably would have picked the Mavs if he was playing, but he wasn't, and that pick ended up being right. I picked the Warriors, didn't care that much about the Steph Curry uh, injury designation. Obviously, he was probable, so that was also a sign that it wasn't necessarily like he was in a lot of pain if he was probable instead of questionable, so that was a good sign to me. Uh, the, the Brooklyn and the Celtics game, we're going to talk about that one, obviously. We're going to talk about all these NBA games, so I'm being very briefly going over them, but I had the Celtics in that one. Uh, and then in the final game, I had the Sixers over the Raptors because uh, who didn't, to be quite honest, at least in that first game. Uh, but in the MLB, I was overall obviously very, very satisfied. Went 3-1, and one, have to be satisfied with that. Uh, but I, I was also satisfied because, honestly, I felt really confident in the Astros beating the Mariners. And that was one of the series that I, that was the only series I got wrong. That was the only thing I got wrong the entire weekend, which is kind of funny. Because uh, I definitely had less confidence in in half the NBA games, I will say. Definitely less confidence in Utah. Definitely less confidence in Boston uh, than I had in the Astros winning that series. But, you know, sometimes that'll happen where I'm very confident. And uh, that's the game that doesn't end up going my way. And uh, that series didn't. Uh, the Astros kind of failed to generate some runs in that series. That was really their problem. Uh, and also they let the Mariners score 11 and 7 in their two wins. So... Hard to beat a team scoring that much, but uh, overall, I, I was I did very well in the MLB. Uh, obviously, so I said that the Mariners took two or three from the Astros. Um, the Giants swept the Guardians. They're off to a really really good start, along with the Dodgers and the Rockies, even in that division uh, in the NLS, which currently is the best division in basketball, and it's not even close. Baseball, uh, it, baseball, yeah, obviously, well, well yeah, but um, in well. Close enough in the cities, wrong teams, though. You know, Cleveland and, and San Francisco are still around there, but, you know, Seattle and Houston, eh, not so much. Uh, but then you have the White Sox, who took two out of three from the Rays. 
Uh, they had the first two one, and then uh, I don't actually know what that what happened in that Sunday game. Obviously, as NBA playoff action started, I started to pay a little bit less attention to baseball. Paid a lot more attention to the Friday games, uh, and then the Blue Jays took two or three from the A's, who are playing surprisingly well to start the season. Uh, but uh, let, let's move on from that. And uh, look, I'm I'm satisfied overall, and uh, hope to repeat that uh, performance next week. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next week will be posted on our website. 4thand24.com on Thursday, as always. So let's turn our attention to the NBA. In the last podcast, we took a preview of the playoffs and made our predictions. And with a couple of games under our belts in most of these playoff series, or at least one game in all of them, we wanted to take a look back at the opening action and then see if either of us wants to revise our predictions. So let's start in the Eastern Conference, where we have the number four-seeded Philadelphia 76ers leading the number five-seeded Toronto Raptors two games to zero. Where the 76ers won game one, uh, 131 to 111. Uh, look, this game was really a reflection of what we thought could happen in the series, but maybe not the, the contributors that we thought it would be. Uh, Tyrese Maxey leading the game in scoring with 38. Harden had 22 and 14 assists, but he was 6 of 17 from the floor uh, compared to Maxey shooting 14 of 21. Very, very, very efficient day for Tyrese Maxey. Uh, then you had Joel Embiid, who shot 5 of 15, so not the most efficient. Uh, had 19 points, but he also added in 15 rebounds. And of course, being that it's Joel Embiid and James Harden, they combined for 15 of 18 at the line. Uh, Embiid going 9 of 11 and Harden going 6 of 7. But Maxey was also 5 of 5 from, from the free throw line. Uh, and look... Even Tobias Harris had 26 points on 9 of 14 shooting, so the 76ers are proving that even without their stars being as efficient uh, as you might expect them to have to be, they can still win games using the other guys as really the efficient guys. I mean, it definitely happened in Game 1. Uh, and if you look at the Raptors side of things, really only Pascal Siakam had Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and uh, Fred Van Vliet all shot efficiently, but not getting many points overall. I mean... Siakam had 24 and Anobi had 20. Van Vliet had 18. Those are, other than Ananobi's, those are really close to their season averages, but still below. Uh, and maybe maybe a little bit above for Pascal, but overall, I, I, that's not going to be enough for Philly to, for for Toronto to maybe even win a game in the series. To be quite honest, uh, but everybody else has got to has got to step it up. And really, their big issues were foul trouble, and uh, now their issues are going to be injuries. Uh, but Gary Trent was two for 11. Uh, he I, he didn't necessarily get into foul trouble, but Chris Boucher got into very bad foul trouble off the bench immediately in this game. Uh, Scotty Barnes had 15, 10, and 8, but look, they played they played well offensively, honestly. But they had some even they had pretty even contributions across the board. Uh, but Gary Trent going two for seven from three and two of eleven overall, plus the fact that uh, they had some foul trouble really did not help them win this game, and that's pretty much the reason why. They were not able to take it home and also can't give up 131 points and win pretty much any night. So uh, not entirely surprising that they couldn't get it done with that defensive performance of theirs. They're also a team who definitely needs to play good defense uh, to keep going in the playoffs, and they were not able to in this game. So uh, that was game one in that series. And in game two of the series, 76ers won 112-97. to Uh, Look, better defense this time by Toronto, but really... They kind of only made a run at the end. This game was kind of out of reach. Uh, the Raptors outscored the 76ers 26-17 to in the fourth quarter. 
but they still lost by 15, so they outscored them by nine, so they were down by 24 heading into the fourth quarter, so it's not like all that mattered, but uh, as the analyst on the game said, who I, I forgot who it was, but the analyst on that game said, look, if you're Toronto right now, you gotta all you want to do is just carry some momentum in to game three because you know you're not going to win this game when they were down by 24. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, I think with nine minutes left, they were still down 24. And you know, they, they still did carry some momentum, it seems, into the next game. Uh, OG Ananobi continued to have a good a good series, honestly. Uh, played 38 minutes. He was 10 of 14, and he had 26 points, so he's been doing well. But Fred Van Vliet was 7 of 23 from the floor, had 20 points. Definitely more assertive in terms of taking more shots. Pascal Siakam took 20 shots also, but... Even though they were shooting in volume, they were not making... They, they basically had the same points as they did in Game 1. Uh, both of them had 20 points, so not really what you want. Chris Boucher played more minutes at 17-8, and eight, so that's a positive. But overall, I think they still have some things that they need to... Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't know what they can do specifically. I, I honestly cannot... Well, I was going to say nurse their problems, but that'd be a terrible pun with their coach, so I actually had to stop myself there. Uh, but... Look, leave it up to Nick Nurse to figure out how they're going to deal with their problems and how they're going to figure out how to claw back into the series. I do think they can make this a somewhat competitive series and at least take one game at home. But for the moment, I don't see the. I, I don't think it's possible for them to win this series, and I don't think it's going to be as close as I thought initially it would be. All right. Well, you initially thought 76ers and seven. So, what's your revised prediction? Changing it to 76ers and five. If it was one to one, I probably would have kept it the same, but. Now that they're up 2 nothing, I think they'll steal one and one on the road and then get that last home game. It, it just doesn't seem like, from what I've seen so far, it, it just does not seem like they're going to lose at home. So, uh, at least not to Toronto at this point. So, I, I got to go with the with the Sixers in five. Yeah, and I had Philly in seven, and I was going to bring it down to Philly in five, but you said five, so I'll just go Sixers in six. You can say the same nah, thing as me. I think it'd six, be more accurate. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's fine. Uh, let's move on to the number one seed in Miami Heat, who are leading the number eight seed in Atlanta Hawks one game to zero. Miami won game one of this series, 115 to 91. Important to note that uh, John Collins actually did play, and I think that was somewhat surprising to me because a lot of people were talking about not even knowing what his availability was, but all of a sudden showed up in uh, game one, came off the bench. He had 10 points and four assists, uh, sorry, 10 points and four rebounds on four of six shooting. In 21 minutes, but overall, I think when you look at the Hawks, look, they just had trouble scoring offensively. It wasn't just Trey Young going one of 12 and 0 of 7 from the three-point line uh, with eight, six, and four in the game. It wasn't that DeAndre Hunter was the only guy who could score when he was six of eight uh, with 14 points. But look, having your leading scorer be Danilo Gallinari with 17 points in game one and he only shot five of 12. It's just not, it's not a good sign for the Hawks. I, I, I never thought this series would be super close. And as we know, I was on the border of going at, at, at or going heat in five, but I felt like that was a little bit too disrespectful to Atlanta. Uh, now I'm not so sure about that anymore, but look, I think Trey Young will play better. I, I think that injury that he had and only, and only playing two days before probably hurt them a lot in this game. And I think they have to get adjusted to the physicality that Miami's playing with because that physicality, I mean, Cleveland plays with a good level of physicality, but they don't, I don't think there's many teams at all that play with the same physicality that Miami does. Uh, Boston's probably up there with them, but I, I can't name many other teams that do. 
uh, and definitely not Charlotte. So uh, the Hawks have not been prepared for that kind of physicality in those in those two playing games, and then also they're coming off those two playing games, so they definitely need some time off. Uh, they need to get, you know, for some teams it might have been the rust. That's what the Bucks and the Bulls were saying, but we'll get to that later. Uh, but look, I don't know if the Heat are going to be able to come back, in the, or sorry, if the Hawks are going to be able to come back and take a few games off the Heat. I still feel like it's a safe estimate to say the Heat in five games, which is why I'm switching my prediction from Heat in six to Heat in five, just because I didn't expect them to come out and be this dominant regardless. And I also haven't heard anything, good or bad, about Clint Capella. So I, I, I need to, if he's playing, maybe they push it to six if they have Capella and if they have John Collins. Because one of the things they maybe could exploit is the fact that they have Trey Young with all the size that they have, that they're probably bigger than Miami when they have both of those guys there. But with only one of them and then with uh, a Kongu starting, I, I don't think they're that much bigger and they lose that advantage that they would otherwise have. And uh, I think Bam can dominate that matchup. So at, at that point, now they have no advantages. Uh, it also doesn't help when Duncan Robinson scores 27 points in 23 minutes on 9 of 10 shooting and 8 of 9 from 3, because I don't think anybody's beating the Heat if he's going to do that every game. Uh, and I doubt that he will do that every game. But Heat got good bench points. Uh, overall, they, they got good scoring from everybody. Kyle Lowry had had 10, 9, and 4, which is good. Uh, Jimmy Butler had 21. Bam only needed to have 6 points and 6 rebounds and 5 assists in the game. P.J. Tucker had 16 points on 4 or 4 from 3. And look, that's a lot. The, the, the production from the Heat does come kind of as a very team-oriented thing. Like, they don't really have the one dominant score every single game. They play a lot of guys. They're one of the deepest teams in the league for sure. Probably probably have the most depth in the league, honestly. Uh, and, and overall, you kind of saw that in this game with how their scoring was pretty balanced and really how no one necessarily took over the game other than Duncan Robinson, but he only played 23 minutes, so I don't even know if it's possible to take over a game in that amount of time. But uh, the Heat played very well, and I think they can continue that, honestly. So uh, I think the Heat will play a good series, and I think... They'll win the series in five games now that I've seen the first game from them, and uh, I don't think the Hawks have much of a chance, honestly. Yeah, well, I said Heat and five to start with, and I'm going to keep it the same. I agree with you. So let's move on to the number two-seeded Boston Celtics, who lead the number seven-seeded Brooklyn Nets 1-0. The Celtics won this game 115-114, as I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast knows, because, it, I mean... That game was a game that probably non-basketball fans were watching, marveling at. That was one of the best games I've seen. That's one of the best game playoff games, at least, in recent memory that I can think of. Uh, I think, look, I don't know what to say about it. It was just a really good game. But uh, I think the one thing that I can really say is for both teams, really there were everybody who came in contributed. And I would argue only one guy on each team really didn't necessarily do all that they could have and even then it's still kind of hard to say that because I could say that about Bruce Brown but he he had five fouls and still played 37 minutes uh so th that that's worth something uh you also have the fact that look Kevin Durant shot nine of 24 from the field his 23 points are still good but I think definitely if you were to try to put the blame on anybody on the nets you would put it on him for that first, for that game, but overall, I don't really think there is anybody who you can just say, this guy, it's this guy's fault, that's why they lost, because after all, they were up with 12 seconds to go, and they even had a shot to make it four, uh, to make it a four-point lead that Kevin Durant couldn't make, but overall, I think 
this series is going to be this close every single game for the rest of the series. Uh, Goran Dragic had 14 points on 6 of 11 shooting. Kyrie was obviously, I, I think Kyrie, it's safe to say, was the best player uh, in this game, although, you know, he might have had some antics to go along with that. But uh, he, he did have the best game of any player uh, this in this time, at least. 12 of 20 from the field, 39 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, 6 of 10 from 3. So very, 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 very good for him. Uh, and then Duran, obviously, as I said, not very efficient, but 23 points. Andre Drummond had 8 and 4, but had 4 fouls, and he didn't only played 17 minutes. Nick Claxton had 13 and 8 uh, with 6 of 8 uh, from the field, but he was 1 of 5 from the free throw line, which cost them a lot, honestly, uh, and that was kind of an issue for them. Uh, and also, by the way, Kyrie did shoot 9 of 9 from the free throw line himself. Uh, but on the Celtics side of things, you had a lot of balanced scoring. Uh, Jason Tatum had 31 points. Obviously, he had the game-winning layup. Uh, on 9 of 18 shooting two, so pretty efficient. Al Horford had 20 points and 15 rebounds uh, on 8 of 13 shooting. You had Marcus Smart, who had 26 and 4, uh, along with along with one, st- along with with one, two steals and uh, really good defense. But by the way, the one thing that probably really impressed me the most about this whole game was the Celtics team defense is, is just really, really good. I mean, they they as a team, everybody pitches in, everybody plays well on defense, and uh, it's one of the main reasons why they've been so good all year and one of the reasons why they'll continue to be good in the playoffs. Uh, you have Jalen Brown who blocked two shots. You have Jason Tatum who blocked two shots. Uh, you have everybody in the starting lineup getting a steal, including Jalen Brown with four steals. Derek White had three steals off the bench, so I, I can't say enough. Their defense was really, really, really good. Uh, in this game, and that was one of the reasons, what, well, excluding a few runs, and honestly, some of Kyrie's shots that he made, you can't really defend them that much. Overall, I think the Celtics played about as well on defense as they could have against a very good offensive team, and uh, because of that, look, series is a one-point game if the Celtics won. This series will be a one-game, uh, a series divided by one game, and the Celtics will win that series along with just game one. Celtics in seven is still my prediction. I'm definitely keeping that. Well, I had Brooklyn in seven, and I mean, this game, come on, this game was a coin flip the first game. Boston won well. Fantastic last second play at home. Uh, Kyrie did go off, but it, like you said, And I was game, about to say, the one thing that counters that argument, though, is that Kyrie picked his game to go off. I think you might see, he, he only had, I, I say only, he had 39 points, but you might see three different players get 40 in this game. I mean, or in this series, you can definitely, I can definitely picture at least Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant pitching in 39 at some point in the series. And it could definitely happen with Jalen Brown, and frankly, Kyrie could do it again. So uh, you're right that it was definitely a coin flip, but, I mean, someone's going to go off every game, and the, and the Nets well, had their Durant, one. And his, Durant could go off in the same game as Kyrie. And also, what, and also what a lot of people have been saying is that, look, Durant played, yeah, somewhat inefficient, but had 23 points, and Kyrie was about as good as anybody can be. And they still lost, so they really need to. They they are just way too dependent on those guys, and they can't rely on both of them to be amazing every single game. So they're gonna have to figure out how to get it done when at least one of them is somewhat off. And uh, I, I don't know if they're gonna be able to do it. Well, I'm sticking with Brooklyn in seven. We can agree to disagree. It's that tight of a series. I think we agree on that. Uh, let's move to the final series in the East. The number three seed in Milwaukee Bucks lead the Chicago Bulls. Number six seed, one game to zero. Uh, this was also a good game, although none expected it to be one. And frankly, when the Bucks started out on a 21-7 run to start the game with even Giannis hitting 
uh, step-in threes. It didn't look like it was going to be that close of a game and maybe even that close of a series. Uh, the Bucks won 93-86, though, in the end. Some ill-advised threes from Zach Levine. Overall, I think, I think I heard that the Bulls' stars shot 20. Well, if you want to call them stars between their big three, between Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine, I think shot 21 of 71 combined is, is the number that I heard. Uh, so, look, they need to step it up. Uh, but, look, Levine shot 6 of 19. Vucevic was 9 of 27. And DeRozan was 6 of 25. If DeMar DeRozan shoots anywhere near that percentage for two or three games of the series, they're losing in five games for sure. They cannot win games with DeMar DeRozan shooting six of 25. Uh, 18 points, eight rebounds, and six assists for him, but very, very inefficient. Actually a season low in terms of shooting percentage for him. Uh, Been pretty efficient all year long, so uh, this was definitely a surprise. Uh, Vucevic was okay outside of the two of 10 from three, but... He's got to start making those threes. Some of them were very, very open. And he had 17 rebounds to go with his 24 points. He was definitely the best player for the Bulls in this game, but still not enough uh, to carry them to the win. And then Zach Levine, 18 points and 10 rebounds, but also 2 of 10 from 3. So And uh, and took a very, I wouldn't necessarily, maybe ill-advised isn't the right word for it, but definitely not the shot uh, the Bulls wanted down 89 to 86. Zach Levine to shoot a very, very long three on a night where he really just didn't have it in general. I mean, if he was if he was on fire, I think they're okay with him taking that shot. But when he's two of nine already, I don't think anybody wanted him taking that shot on the Bulls. Uh, and uh, that was really the reason that they lost. They didn't have great shot-taking all game. They shot 32% as a team. The Bucks shot 40% as a team. They were 10 of 38 from three. Uh, the Bulls were 7 of 37, so not any better. In fact, a lot worse. But overall, just a cold game by both of these teams. And... Uh, some foul trouble too. And honestly, the best player for the Bulls, maybe not, well, definitely not offensively. Vucevic, I think, was their best offensively, honestly. But Caruso might have been the best player for them in this game just because of the fact that he contributed on defense and he took the shots he was asked to take. He didn't necessarily make all of them, but he was three of seven. He was one of five from three. They're going to need some of their threes to drop if they're going to win the series for sure. Uh, but they even limited Giannis. He had 27 and 16, but 10 of 19 shooting when he normally shoots a little bit of a higher percentage than that, but still shot over 50%, so it's not like he was inefficient. But Middleton was 4 of 13, and Drew Holiday was 6 of 16. Uh, Drew with with 15 points, and Middleton with 11 points. Combined between those two, they were 2 of 11 from 3. So if that's going to happen and the Bulls aren't going to win that game, I don't know what they're going to do when Middleton and Holiday start playing well. So uh, I don't really know what, what's going to happen in this series, but I'm going to stick with my prediction of the Bucks and Five. And I'm going to stick with my prediction of Bucks and Five. So that wraps up the look at the Eastern Conference. Let's now turn our attention to the Western Conference, starting with the number five Utah Jazz, who are tied with the number four-seeded Dallas Mavericks one-to-one after the first two games of that series. In game one, Utah won 99-93. But in game two, Dallas won 110-104. Obviously, Dallas has home court advantage, so this series did start. Uh, in Dallas, both of those two games, but both two games without Luka Doncic, uh, look, is very important that Utah has Luka. I think there's no doubting that. Uh, but this game, the first half was really the Bogdan Bogdanovich show, or Bojan Bogdanovich show, where he had 20 points in the first half, and then Donovan Mitchell, after just having two points in the first half, ended up with 32 in the game, so 30 in the second half for him. But he was 10 of 29 from the field, so not exactly the most efficient, but uh, 
outside of Donovan Mitchell and Bo and Boyan, Rudy Gobert had five points on 0 of 1 shooting. He only made five free throws in the whole game. He did have 17 rebounds though, uh, and obviously played the typical Gobert defense. But only Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson were in double figures, and Clarkson had exactly 10 points, and Conley had 13 on 6 of 12 shooting. So not like they impacted the game maybe as much as they normally do. Uh, but overall, everybody pitched in just enough for Utah to have an okay shooting night at 43% and 31 for, 32 from three. Actually, that's pretty bad, to be quite honest, uh, for a team that's really relying on threes, too. Uh, and they were, But they were just good enough to squeak by Dallas when uh, Jalen Brunson had 24 on 9 of 24 shooting. And then also you had uh, Dorian Finney-Smith had 14, Reggie Bullock had 15, but uh, Dinwiddie had 22, but on 6 of 15 shooting, there was no one who really stood out necessarily for Dallas because the guys who scored a lot were pretty inefficient. Uh, but overall, 38.2% shooting as a team, 28% from three, nine of 32 from three. Dallas is going to need to make maybe, I'd say 12 or 13 threes in games where Luka's not there if they want to win. And, uh, well, we figured out that the number was much higher for them to need to win in the second game of the series uh, where the Mavericks were able to win 110 to 104. But... To get to that point, Dallas shot 22 of 47 from the three-point line and only won by six points, which is a show that when Luka's not there, they really need to shoot well. They shot 47% from the floor, 46.8% from three. Uh, Utah shot better as a team with 46.3% and uh, 37.9 from three. Donovan Mitchell had 34 points, but this time on 13 of 30 shooting, so definitely more efficient. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovich had 25 points on 9-15 to 15 shooting, so pretty consistent for him. Uh, Royce O'Neal had 12 points in this game. Gobert had 8 points now, but 17 rebounds again. And Clarkson had 21 off the bench on 8-11 of 11 shooting. But the story of this game was Jalen Brunson and Maxi Kleba, who combined for 66 points uh, on, well, Kleba was 8-11 of 11 from 3, and Brunson was 6-10 of 10 from 3, so 14-21 of 21 from 3 combined for those two alone, which is insane. Uh, Brunson shot 15-25 of 25 and had 41 points in this game, along with 8 rebounds and 5 assists. Uh, he's getting paid in the offseason. Uh, and then you had Kleba, who had 25 points and 6 rebounds off the bench, uh, played 32 minutes because of how well he was playing. 8-11 of 11 from the floor, 8-11 of 11 from 3, did not take a 2-point shot in the game, but look, he played very, very well, and uh, he's really him and and Brunson were the reason why they were the reasons why they won. Uh, Dinwiddie had 17 points, but on six of 18 shooting, so a decent number for him in terms of points, but not very efficient. Uh, you'd think that maybe with Luca back and more of those shots being in flow rather than as forced as they might be with him out, uh, that that those percentages get better. But uh, overall, I think Dallas did pretty well in the two games without Luca, and uh, now the series shifts to them with with Luka back, and we'll see what they're able to do with him back. However, I still have Utah winning the series in six now that they've stolen that one game uh, on the road. All they need to do is win all the games at home, and even if they don't win all the games at home, they still only need to win. They still would need to win two out of three at home and one on the road. I think they can do it easily, uh, and I think I would have said five if they were up two to nothing. I would say that they would steal that fifth game on the road, but because of the fact that it's one to one, I'll say they win these next two at home. Dallas wins that fifth game, and then Utah closes it up in six. Yeah, I said Utah in seven, but I'm going to agree with you, which was kind of weird to have the road. I said when have the road team winning it uh, in that seventh game. So I'll tweak my prediction a little bit. Uh, they got the one game. 
I thought they were going to get early in the series, so uh, let's just go. I'll agree with you. Change my prediction to Utah in six. Although this series is definitely going to be a very entertaining one if this was already assigned from the first two games. Or Luka's just so good that he's going to come back and swing completely in the Mavs' favor. But I think Utah can play a lot better than they have so far, so I don't think that's going to happen. All right, well, let's move to the number seven Minnesota Timberwolves, who lead the number two-seeded Memphis Grizzlies 1-0. Minnesota won 130-117, to uh, as my motto with the Raptors was against the 76ers. You can't give up 131 points and win the game. You can't give up 130 and win the game either. Uh, so Minnesota gave up, or sorry, Minnesota scored 130 against the Grizzlies. Honestly, I just didn't, I didn't, I don't know if I would say the energy of the Grizzlies, but it felt like Minnesota was playing with with more swag, which is odd because Memphis really has kind of built their identity this year off of that, and that's kind of how they've been playing all year. They've been the trash talkers and the initiators, and they've been backing up, backing it up with their play, though. Uh, but look, this game, not so much. You know, D'Angelo Russell had 10 points on 2 of 11 shooting, so definitely not his best performance. But Michael—sorry, not Michael Beasley, Malik Beasley off the bench had 23 points on 8 of 14 shooting. Jaden McDaniels had 15 points— on five of a six shooting. Uh, Patrick Beverly even had 10, six, and six on four of eight shooting in some limited minutes because of some foul trouble. And then you get to the two big stars for the for Minnesota in this game. Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. Carl Anthony Towns had 29, 13, and three on 11 of 18 shooting, playing 43 minutes uh, for the Grizzlies in comparison to the play-in game where he barely played at all against the Clippers because he fouled out so quickly. Uh, and then all, it barely ended up with any points either. But this game, he stepped it up big time. Uh, he played a very, very great game. And then Anthony Edwards, who had 36-6 and six in his playoff debut, 12-23 uh, of 23 from the floor. Those two took it over. Uh, and as a result of the fact that, other than Ja, no one really got going quite quite well on, Minnesota, uh, on Memphis. Uh, they were able to win the game. Memphis shot 25.9% from the three-point line. Uh, Minnesota shot 50% as a team and 39% from three. So that's, those are good percentages. If they keep those up, I don't know how Memphis is even going to win any games in the series, but, uh, Memphis shot 45% from the field, 26% from three. Uh, and overall Brandon Clark was definitely the most efficient six of seven shooting. Uh, but, but 13 and 12 for him. And obviously, uh, jaw had a lot of points. He had 32 points, but he was only eight of 18 from the field. Uh, scored 16 of his 32 from the free throw line, where he was 16 of 20. Uh, did not make a three in this game. Desmond Bain was six of was six of 15 with 17 points, and uh, Dylan Brooks was 24 had 24 points, uh, and he played a pretty decent game overall. But Jaron Jackson getting in foul trouble was really the thing that kind of ruined uh, Memphis's chances of winning this game. And without your without your power forward who leads the league in blocks on the court to guard Carl Anthony Towns, you're going to need to make some threes, and they didn't. So that's the reason why they're why they're losing the series right now. Uh, but still, I have confidence in Memphis to win the series, but I do think this series is going to be a lot closer than we initially thought. I said it could be, I said it would be five, but thought that Minnesota could easily pu- push it to six. Now that I've seen them play, I think they can easily push it to seven. Uh, and that is what I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict Memphis wins in seven. Uh, I say Minnesota will win game four and six at home. And then it will go to Game Seven after that. After Memphis wins the next two, uh, I think Memphis will go up two to one, and then Minnesota tied up at two two, and then tied up at three three, just for Memphis to win it in the end of Game Seven. Well, I like you. I'm going to change my prediction from Memphis in five to Memphis in seven. 
I'm not as wise as you, so I won't even try to pick which games they win, but I agree. Minnesota, a heck of a lot more competitive than we thought against a powerful team. Thought maybe, oh, maybe they just look good in the playoff, in the play-in. Um, so uh, we're going to agree with that one, and we're going to move on to the next series. The number one-seeded Phoenix Suns lead the number eight-seeded New Orleans Pelicans 1-0. Well, in this series, uh, look, how much do we need to talk about this one? I think this is the one where uh, if we were running this professionally like a TV show does, we'd probably give this one maybe 30 seconds of airtime if the other series are getting two and a half. Uh, look, it's as simple as this. Phoenix won game one, 110 to 99. I actually, I was actually surprised at the amount of fight that the Pelicans showed to get back into this game, but it just wasn't enough. I mean, they outscored them 37 to 26 in the third quarter, uh, but Phoenix dominated the first half, uh, had a 53 to 36 lead at the half. So it was just ugly for, for the Pelicans. And they, they dug themselves too big of a hole to come back from, especially against such a good team like Phoenix. But look, this game was the Chris Paul show. Let, let, let's not let's not shortchange him at all. Uh, Chris Paul had 30 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds on 12 of 16 shooting and 4 of 6 from 3. And I'm pretty sure he scored 18 or 19 of those points in the fourth quarter alone. So he took over this game when they needed it the most. And, and that's the reason why they won. Uh, they got good contributions from everybody as normal. The Suns are very good at that, uh, along with... Uh, the Celtics, they are, sorry, along with, uh, well, yeah, the Celtics are one of those teams, but along with a few other teams, they're definitely up there in terms of best depth in the league. So uh, it makes sense that it's going to happen with them. Uh, so overall, uh, th they played a good game. Uh, Cam Johnson had 13 points off the bench, uh, and they even survived Jay Crowder not making a single shot in the whole game. Uh, they, Mikhail Bridges had 11 points and five rebounds, but didn't make a three. Overall, Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges were 0 of 7 from 3 combined. If you add campaign in there, they were 10, 0 of 10 from 3. Uh, those those three guys. But Aiton had 21 and 9 on 10 of 15 shooting. Booker had 25, 8, and 4, and he was really, really good in the first half and allowed them to kind of build up their lead. Uh, Aiton also had four blocks to go along with his rebounding. So good defense overall from the Suns. Great team defense. It, I don't know how, the Phoenix, how, how Phoenix is going to lose to New Orleans. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but look... McCollum played well. Valanchunas played okay. He had 18 points and 25 rebounds, so he dominated the glass. Uh, but Ingram had 18 points also. I, I just don't know who they're going to get out of Hayes and Herb Jones and Devontae Graham. Like, which one of those guys are going to raise their numbers from five points and four points to get them over the hump in this series? I just don't see any of them doing it. And frankly, Phoenix, they didn't get a good game from Torrey Craig. They're, well, they got an okay game from Torrey Craig. They didn't get a good game from Campaign. Uh, they got an they got a decent one from JaVale McGee. Cam Johnson was good, but Crowder wasn't as good as he normally is. Mikhail Bridges wasn't as good offensively as he normally is. So they can get even better. And by the way, Devin Booker can also just score 40 if he feels like it. So they can even play better than they did. And yet, I still feel like New Orleans left some things to be desired even in this loss. So uh, I just don't see how Phoenix is going to lose this series. And I don't see how they're going to lose a game in the series. Uh, I think they still sweep. I think New Orleans is going to steal one game, so I'll keep my prediction at Phoenix in five, and we won't spend any more time on this series. We will move to the final series in the West, where the number three-seeded Golden State Warriors lead the number six-seeded Denver Nuggets two games to zero. In game one, Golden State won 123-107. to It was the Jordan Poole show, that is for sure. Uh, both him and Duncan Robinson playing well, both the Michigan guys from that Final Four team that played what? 
Uh, actually, I think some, somewhere out there I saw the stat that that team is, or that game between Michigan and Villanova is one behind the record for most NBA players from one single national championship game. I think there's 11 players in the NBA uh, or that have played NBA minutes that were on those teams. If you now include Xavier Simpson, who played a few minutes for Oklahoma City as they were trying to tank at the end of the season. Uh, obviously, you have Duncan Robinson and Jordan Poole as the guys at the forefront of that, other than Jalen Brunson and the aforementioned Mikel Bridges, who we were just talking about. Look, there was a lot of talent on the floor in 2018 in the national championship game, but moving on from college for a little bit, uh, Nikola Jokic in game one had a good game, 25-10-6, 12-25, but it just wasn't enough overall. Will Barton had 24-6-5 on 10-18 of 18 shooting, uh, but overall, they didn't get enough contributions to outdo the fact that Jordan Poole had 30 points on 9-13 of 13 shooting, uh, Andrew Wiggins had 16 points on 6 of 11 shooting, Kevon Looney even shot above 50%. The Warriors' entire starting lineup, with the exception of only Clay Thompson, shot above 50%, so very, very efficient. Uh, Draymond was 5 of 7 with 12, 9, and 6, and obviously great defense, as Draymond always had has. Uh, Wiggins, 16 points, 9 rebounds. As I said, 6 of 11 shooting. So overall, got a lot of contributions from everywhere. Clay still had 19 points. He was 5 of 10 from 3, 7 of 15 from the floor. And even with Steph on a minutes limit, where he only ended up with 16, 4, and 3 uh, in 22 minutes, they still played well enough as a team to take game one. And then in game two, Golden State was able to pile it on again, uh, going up two to nothing, winning 126 to 106. And frankly, this game was kind of the Jordan Poole show again. I mean, Steph was Steph was unbelievable off the bench in this game, too. Uh, and he brought he took over the game for sure. Uh, look, Steph had 34 points on 12 of 17 shooting. The only missed shots he had were threes, 5 of 10 from three, which is still ridiculous. 34, 3, and 4 for him. Uh, Poole had 29, 5, and 8 on 5 of 10 shooting from three also, and 10 of 16 from the floor. Clay Thompson had 21 on 9 of 19 shooting. Wiggins was Wiggins had 13 and 8 on 5 of 9, and Draymond played good defense. And that's really the story of these two games, and that's probably going to continue to be the story of the series at this rate. Uh, it, it looks like this is the Warrior series to lose. Uh, Nikola Jokic had 26 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists, but also got ejected, uh, and Will Barton only ended up with five of fi- on 5 of 15 shooting with 12 points. So overall, the Warriors are taking over this series. I think that I think that Denver can definitely, they can they can steal a few games, but overall, give me the Warriors in, in five games at this point. I think they're closing out at home. I think they'll steal one on the road. Maybe they, they might even go up 3 to nothing. honestly. They could sweep. It's possible, but... I think Jokic will come out angry from this game with the technicals after Boogie Cousins got ejected in game one. Maybe they both don't get ejected in game three and the Nuggets steal game three, and then maybe that will also make the Warriors refocus a little bit, and after they refocus, I think they'll take the next two, and that'll be the end of the series. Yeah, so you said Warriors in six to start. I said Warriors in seven, not knowing how much of a contributor Steph would be and not expecting Jordan Poole to erupt for the second most... Pretty uh, much replaced Steph's production. Yes. They kind of just traded places in the first game, and then in the second game, they were basically clones of each other, so... Second most points uh, by a Warrior in their first two playoff games, second only to Wilt Chamberlain. So, uh, you revised yours to Warriors in five. Yeah, I think Denver steals a game. Warriors in five, but in a, this series is not close. Unfortunately, not many of these series are looking like they're going to be close. Uh, it looks like we'll all be... Uh, tuning our eyes into Memphis and Minnesota and probably, and the Utah-Dallas series too, and then the Boston and Brooklyn series definitely is going to be the best one in my opinion. But, you know, I thought the Raptors series would be close. Wasn't. 
uh, isn't going to be probably. I thought this series would be at least a little bit closer than this. I thought it would be the most dominant six-game series win we've ever seen, but I still thought it would be in six games, and uh, that's not what we're seeing, and let's be honest, the one-eighths in, 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 the, uh, in both the East and the West aren't looking too good, so there's only a few series to look towards, and I, I guess the one, the only positive that we had is that I think the Bulls made it look like they could actually contend in the series a lot better than we thought they could, because as I mentioned on the last podcast— they had the second highest odds to win the ser- to win a series. Well, actually, the highest before the one eight odds were even in. I bet both the one eight series have higher odds, but they were minus a thousand to win that series. It was not supposed to be close at all. Memphis was supposed to be a much closer series. So overall, I think it's fine that uh, I think it's good that the Bulls at least competed, and it looks like that series will at least get a little bit closer, while the other ones don't look like they're going to be as close. Well, we will find out uh, whether those series get closer on our next edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Uh, That wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. That next podcast will be on Friday, April 22nd, where in addition to reviewing the next half week of NBA playoff action, we will talk about Major League Baseball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow, and his NBA power rankings that will be published on Wednesday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four. T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.